Welcome to Guest Getter, the best place for restaurateurs to learn the art and science of getting more new guests, getting guests coming back more often, and getting guests spending more per visit so that you can be more profitable and do more of what you love. My name's Kyle Guilfoyle. Let's hit it. In today's episode, we're joined by Ken McGarry. Ken is the co-founder of Corgan Hospitality, a nationwide hospitality consulting firm dedicated to helping restaurateurs reach their potential through effective leadership and maximizing profitability. Ken is also the author of The Surprise Restaurant Manager, which is not only a title I'm sure many can relate to, it's a holistic field guide to being a restaurant manager. He's helped open dozens of concepts across the United States and Canada and has been in the trenches throughout this pandemic. And many of my curiosities that I'm excited to explore with Ken today are around issues that are endemic in the hospitality industry today. For example, how the hell can you have great management when bartenders and servers are traditionally better incentivized financially? How can restaurateurs overcome the current staffing crisis when many folks can earn more collecting government assistance than they can working at a restaurant? And finally, how can we rebuild this industry from the inside out so that it is, once and for all, sustainable and actually profitable? We'll be jamming on all this and more in our conversation with Ken today. Ken, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing very well. First off, checks in the mail for that great intro. And uh, sounds like we have a lot to unpack today. That's, uh, it seems I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. How much time? You got like three hours? That should. Oh, I think we can fix the restaurant industry in three hours. That shouldn't, that shouldn't be hard. Perfect. (laughs) So I, I always start with the same question. And that is, how would you describe your area of expertise? My area of expertise is definitely focused on what it is to empower people around me. Um, I work with the management most specifically, and a lot of it has to do with the communication that they choose to adopt when working with their staff. And so for me, that's really where I define my role is developing a better communication and appreciation of the people that you work alongside. Amazing. And what's one thing about that that you wish you had learned years ago? Oh, that rolling up your sleeves and helping out and jumping in the dish pit isn't always the right response as a manager. Sometimes it is. But the number of times that I jumped behind the bar trying to help push out drinks in the middle of a rush and I just got in the real bartender's way, it's very embarrassing. But As a young manager, I found myself doing those things because I was signaling that I was helping Mm -hmm. instead of actually helping. So that balance between helping at times and delegating at times is something I wish I knew more than I do now. That's, that's, that's awesome. And, um, so like, like many of us, you, uh, you didn't come out of the womb in hospitality. Um, you, you know, I, I, I know that you have a bit of a, a musical background, and I thought that might be a good spot for uh, you to give us a Coles or for you to start your Coles Notes version of your background and, and just share a bit about how you got to where you are today. So, I definitely music is always was my first love. <laughs> and coming up, I thought that I would be in the back of a van driving around, you know, at, at that point, uh, just to tell you my age, that was like that kind of ska punk revival so i was right in the pocket of that and i felt that was going to be what i was going to do 
And on the side, I was always in the industry, but in the peripheral. And I use that term that so many servers and bartenders say is until I get my quote real job, which for those of us who've made a career out of it, that term always exacerbates us. But I was serving, I actually started out dishwashing in high school at a Chuck E. Cheese and putting on the mouse outfit and dancing around at the children's parties. So I did all of those things. It's good, practice, college, for your, good practice for your musical uh, endeavors. Oh, oh no, it isn't, it isn't practice for me to realize that I had to learn patience with children who knew I was just a guy in a mouse costume. So um, I found myself in college uh, hanging out with musicians, but also being in the restaurant industry. And I realized I was a lot better at the restaurant industry than I was as a musician. And I went the traditional route, got an English degree, got a job where I sit behind a desk. And I very quickly realized I am somebody who has to be around people and have constant energy, which is why I moved into the restaurant industry. And now more specifically focus on new store openings, which means I live in chaos 90% of my life and I love it. Awesome. I Well, I'd actually, something you said, I, I'd love to hear what your response is when, when you when you hear people say something like, uh, you know, when I get my quote unquote real job, I, I imagine you have a pretty good response to that after getting it so often. Well, the reality is, is that it's something that you led into in the intro is that for a lot of servers and bartenders, it is a short term response. Totally. And the things that really drive their motivations for why they're there, you have to focus on because it's not like, when you start as a junior architect, you know that someday you're going to be an architect. Every bartender doesn't feel like that they're going to be a manager. And being a manager means that you're going to now do twice as much work, have twice as much responsibility for half as much pay. So the incentive to even move into the management aspect is something to be addressed. And when you're talking about people who are looking at it as their stepping stone to their real job, Sure. But those are also the same people who are servers and bartenders that invariably find themselves with keys to the restaurant and asked to manage with absolutely zero training, which is kind of why I wrote the book. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm really excited to, uh, to, to dive into how, how we do incentivize those folks. Cause um, yeah, it, it, it is, it, it is, like I said, it's endemic in this industry, but before that, I, I really want to start at the tippity top okay. and, you know, with, with, the owner. And, you know, I think that a healthy restaurant owner probably has, let's say like a 30,000 foot view of their operation. They can see things clearly because they aren't so entrenched in the day-to-day -day operation of the business. Now you as a consultant likely have more of like a 50,000 foot view because you are constantly surveying the industry at large and you can view a concept with fresh eyes, as well as the, the ownership and everything else. Now, before I ask a follow-up question, uh, could you let me know if, if that's accurate and if you agree with that assessment or, or have I gone astray somehow? No, I, th I think for the most part, you're absolutely dead on. I think that the challenge is, is I wish I were more 50,000 foot, but half the time that I'm working with restaurateurs, I find that it's a rebuilding from scratch or at least re-examining the the fundamentals in order to get to better measurable solutions. Got it. And so what I'd love to know is, so when considering whether or not you can even help a bar or restaurant, um, what criteria do you look at 
to make that decision? Are there deal breakers, red flags, green lights, that kind of thing? Absolutely. And I am the absolute first to say that the term consultant in our industry is a pejorative. And it doesn't help that every single person who has a gap in their resume, like if they are off work for six months, they always write that they were a consultant. So it doesn't have a real great name to begin with. And every most every restaurateur I know that's been in the industry for a while has one horror story of hiring somebody to come in. And all they do is that they point and say, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And then they collect a check and leave. Oh, man. So in, in that that's unfortunately what a lot of consultants will do. So when I set out to be a consultant, I first had to swerve into the curve and realize that, yeah, it's a bad word. And two, how can I make it different? And so the criteria for how I select is what is measurable. So if somebody comes to me and says, I want to have better service, then my first answer is, how are you defining that? Is that going to be uh, Yelp reviews, secret shopper reports, or is it just going to be your own emotional response of, I think it's better? And, and if it's that, I can't, I can't measure that. Yeah. So I can provide nothing that I can't measure, and more importantly, that doesn't live beyond me. So I can create systems, and I can create procedures, but if there aren't the people in place to continue them once I leave, then, I'm, then it was all for naught. So Part of Corgan Hospitality is to make sure that we are truly going to make an impact farther after we leave. And I would say probably 50% of the time that I sit down with a potential restaurant uh, like to talk to them about that, I will go through the initial interview. I do a stage for a few hours. We walk through and make sure. And then I write out an entire plan of what I would do if I owned it. And then just say, do you have the bandwidth to do it yourself? Because if they can, they don't need me. And some people have said, thank you so much for this, and I'm going to try, and I wish them the best. And some people have said, thank you so much for this. I would love to have your help with these four things. And much like a menu, you pick those things, and they have tangible, measurable results. It's a, it's a great approach, um, which leads to my next question, which is you must see a lot of the same low-hanging fruit uh, when you when – you, you know, come in, come into contact with the new uh, concept and their challenges. Where, where do you usually see the, you know, the low hanging fruit that, that brings the, the most measurable impact or the highest impact that you can measure? I think that I'll answer that from a staff standpoint and then from a owner manager standpoint. From a staff standpoint, I'm always amazed. I mean, just blown away by the number of staff that have never even truly tried the entire menu. It, 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 how can you talk about something with passion if you don't expose your staff continually and often so that they can talk about these things that you're offering with love? Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, they're just order takers, and then you're wondering why they're not really bought in. It's because you haven't welcomed them to be a part of your concept. When you've created no culture around the products that you serve. It's just, and it just makes me, I'm, I'm just like, how can you, and, and half the time it comes down to money. Well, we don't want to waste that food because we want to make sure, well, you're, you're stepping over dollars to pick up pennies or however that term always goes. So yeah, I mean, you're literally, you're missing out on the much bigger picture. Mm -hmm. The other aspect that I see from a owner operator standpoint is my level of uncovering how little people truly understand what they're selling costs them from the creation to the build sheets, to the packaging, to what it is at the door and how they can streamline those things 
And if they have that, which is, which is you know, good, um, how they're measuring it. Because the number of places that I encountered that aren't using an inventory management system, so they can't tell their cost of goods in real time, mm-hmm. means that they're waiting for P&Ls that come that are going to put out 45 days later before you're able to go back and try to adjust the problems that you're uncovering. So it's and, a it's a lagging indicator as opposed to you know being proactive and using leading indicators. It is, and you if you have the ability in the moment to run a, a, a real time theoretical, then you have a good understanding. But if you're running a weekly PN or a weekly inventory, then it will give you a much better real view of what you're losing and what you're leaving on the table. And are there, I have to ask this, I, I love tools and stuff. Are there any like cool tools you could recommend for, you know, inventory management? Are there like softwares or, yeah. Would, yep, would there are two, there are two. I use BevSpot um, and BevSpot is really at the beverage manager. It does work with food, but uh, MarketMan is one that we've started using um, as part of the Fabio group. Um, one of my uh, chef partners is uh, top chef uh, Fabio Viviani. And so- Market Man is a big driver in a lot of his concepts as well. Both of them ideally work the same way, loading invoices, making sure that you know exactly where you're standing. Awesome. So I would say the biggest challenge many restaurateurs are up against today is is staffing. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to, let, let's break this down. What um, What's your high level take on this issue and how can we begin to solve it? Well, the high level response is first off, absolutely. There is a lack of uh, great staff um, simply because a lot of people have stepped away from it. Mm-hmm. And traditionally in the, especially in the management aspect, because I have often said that being a restaurant manager is like being in boot camp. You don't go to boot camp to live in boot camp. You go to boot camp to go on something greater. Yeah. So, being a restaurant manager is usually a springboard into doing something different. But in the midst of the global pandemic, that drove a lot of people away. Or in cases of certain states in the U.S., going from states that were closed, like where I'm at in Chicago, down to Florida, where things were more open. That coupled with the fact that a lot of people from, the, from hourly staff who have also decided to pivot and to go to something else simply because the reopening has been hard and that they don't feel that level of appreciation. But I have to take it back to the reason that I'm not sitting behind a desk. There are people that want to be around people that, that thrive on energy and, and, and that they are part of hospitality because it truly drives them. Mm-hmm. The narrative that has to change is simply that owners have to turn the paradigm of understanding it's not that those people are working for them it's that they should be absolutely gobsmacked and appreciative for every single person that comes and works for them every single day because simply if you are a good server a good bartender a good line cook a good anything you can find a job anywhere so if someone is kind enough to work for you you should be thanking them every single day because they're making that determination to stay there and if we as, as owners and restaurateurs can get to that, then those are the people who are going to still retain top talent. For sure. And it's, it's, it's a mindset shift from 
oh, you should be grateful to have this job too. Um, goddamn, it's it's amazing <laughs> that these people want to help me build this thing, and we get to we get to you know cultivate uh, an amazing culture together. Um, and here are all of the 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 ways you are going to grow as you know as a manager as a person. Um, and I I think that. I think that for many people, that's that's new. Would you agree, agree with that? I would. I would. I think, I not not to uh, shamelessly pitch the book, but I will tell you that there's actually a chapter called "How to Drive Away Good Staff," and it's literally that. It's if you're the person that says, you know, I've got a stack of resumes, uh, you can be replaced anytime. You're going to drive away good people because no one wants to work in that environment. The same way that if you translate negativity on the floor there's so many things that you can do as a manager to be inclusive and welcoming and empower people um but there's just there's just it's just as easy to become that stereotypical churn and burn manager that people just don't want to work with totally and what's the so let's say let's say you're working with a restaurant owner and they have a a management issue and mm -hmm. they need uh they need to to basically bring someone off the street. What's, what's the playbook uh, for the training that you would take that, that manager through to, to get them to become a high performance manager for that establishment? So you're taking someone who might not even have any restaurant experience, but you're putting them into being a restaurant manager. Am I yeah. understanding correctly? Yeah. Okay. Is that possible? Um, yes, okay. yes. Absolutely. It's, it's possible in the same way that you can do that with servers and bartenders and every other position, because there are just in things inherently, and you know this in life, that you can't train. You can't train work ethic. You can't train passion. You can't train drive. Mm -hmm. Those are just inherent things that people have or they don't. And as long as your training methods are robust enough and understanding enough that to where they can be fluid to when you notice that somebody's having a challenge. Like for example, a lot of uh, restaurant training, uh, you'll spend just as much time in the back of the house as you will in the front of the house, which I think is totally valid, but put a knife in my hand and you'll understand why I'm front of the house manager. So it takes me twice as much time to understand any aspect of the stations in the back of the house. And as long as your training is acknowledging that people learn in different rates and different ways, then you absolutely can, but much in the same way that, and you've seen this all your life, you hire a new server and it's, oh, it's Becky, great, go stand next to Becky. And then that's how you're going to learn. And there's no, same thing happens with management. So you find somebody that you really enjoy in an interview and you just think that they're going to figure it out. And without that succession planning and without that structure and without that support from whomever decided to hire you, they will fail. Right. So you can't, you can't just expect them to be able to figure out you need to, you need to take them through a process. Is that right? Absolutely. You find, see, for some reason, this person chose to work, they met you, they say, Oh my gosh, that's great. So in essence, they're working because of you. Mm -hmm. So your involvement has to be there throughout all of their training and development. The big miss oftentimes with training of any position in the restaurant is the stepping back of, okay, we hired this person. We are not checking in to make sure that they're, you know, I think it was Danny Meyer who called it a jazz level. It's that level to where you're really, really in and then you just see it and then it just kind of starts doing this. 
And if you're truly is a restaurant manager, you're to understand when people's jazz levels begin to trickle and try to make a difference there, that 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 begins with training and that begins with whomever is in whomever is senior in that position because it's very very easy to feel like it's going to be something and then to walk in and find out it's something totally different and being a someone who opens a bunch of restaurants i know that one quite well of saying this is going to be like this and then knowing that it's so much more challenging once you open the doors Restaurant owners, operators, and managers, before we continue with the episode, I want to ask you a question. Do you know if your marketing is working? Most restaurant owners are relying solely on organic social media and word of mouth marketing. While these are both powerful, they ultimately leave the growth of your restaurant to chance. You can't control algorithms and you certainly can't control what people do, but you can use a system that will have a huge impact over time. I'd love to show you the guest magnet method. It's a simple, but cohesive system that will accelerate the growth of your restaurant in a way that you can measure. It is backed by ROI, a return on your investment. If you want to learn about the most powerful way to grow your restaurant sales this year, send an email to kyle at guestgetter.co with magnet in the subject line, and I'll get you all the details. All right, back to the show. Totally. Um, oh man, I, I, there are two, dig- two directions I want to go in here. First of all, I have a bit of a hot take that I would I'd like your your feedback on, um, right. and, and that is what I've observed of this industry, and and I've been in it for you know more than half my life. Um, what I've observed from the pandemic is that a lot of folks who were you know kind of veterans, they were pros, uh, have become very jaded, and you know many of them are looking for. Uh, escape, escape valves, and uh, they're you know they're leaving the industry, and so I feel like there's a conundrum in that when places do open up again, you know those people, and and many times they're now working like five hour shifts from you know down from like tw- like eleven hours or whatever they were working before, and so when things open up again, whenever that happens, they're probably not going to want to do that, and so. I feel as though there's, you know, a bit of like a a talent drain that will leave the industry and what we therefore need to do for it to be sustainable is we need to usher in young, hungry people who, um, you know, are those folks who just want to be around people and they have a real passion for the industry. Um, And so that's sort of like, does any of that make sense? Yes, yes, definitely a lot of that makes sense. And I am not casting any shade on any other profession, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people that I know that are not in the restaurant industry were able to go work from home and they had their lives and then they did that from home. And at least in my experience, what I saw were a lot of restaurant managers, a lot of event salespeople, uh, a lot of people, all hourly staff laid off. And they went home and then they began to, you know, whatever government substance they could. And they, and that was how they began to make it through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then the few chefs, there were traditionally chefs more than anything. And there are a few, few restaurant managers, but chefs were the ones that were given the, uh, the onus of being able to actually um, do the takeout because so many restaurants 
in my neighborhoods went from being just regular brick and mortar, never did takeout at all, to what that was their only level of survival was to start doing takeout. And then um, the PPP came through in the US and that was if you could retain your staff at 75% of their wages. Mm -hmm. So you saw chefs that are now making 75% instead of their full wage. While meanwhile, these restaurants are clawing to try to stay open because I don't care how good your, your takeout is. If you're used to not doing takeout, you're not going to be able to compete at a level that's going to keep you going. And so it was, it was a struggle for literally everybody and still continues to be for a lot. Um, so yes, did that drive out people 100%. And it just got to that point of, I don't know if I can do more with less. I don't know if I'm able to continue being in this industry when it is that. And then the, and I, I do hate to, you know, I never want to put it on the guest, but the number of servers and bartenders that I know that have now had to become bouncers because it is, you have to wear your mask. And if you're not wearing your mask and I don't care politically where you come down on the mask issue. All I know is I was in the middle of the pandemic trying to tell the staff to please come in and promising them that we're going to make sure that people wear masks for their safety. Because yes, you might be a guest and you come in and you see 12 people in, in a day. Well, my, my staff saw 1200 and when they did, they were exposing themselves. And so the mandates of being masked required the adherence that people weren't oftentimes willing to do, which meant it was even harder to train. So Yes, there is definitely a safety issue. There is a burnout issue. There's all of that. I hasten to say removing everybody or going with a new fresh take. Um, I think it's a good balance. I think there's people who are willing to step in and come in, but I also think that there's a level of experience that needs to kind of realize on a level, not nearly in the same thing. We've weathered at least economic aspects of this many times in our industry and what usually happens is it shakes out people that are unsure and then everybody else sticks together and all i know is if you're still in this restaurant industry now uh god love you i mean <laughs> yeah. seriously yeah no kidding and i've i've heard from a, a number of of my restaurant clients that uh you know they they have cases where people don't even show up for interviews and um you know the general theory here is is because people know that they're going to be taken care of by this government assistance or mm -hmm. that's what they want to do instead and so i'm wondering how you would advise those restaurant owners how you would advise them to you know what you tell them to do so that they have the best shot of getting staff even though they're sort of up against this odd thing. Just opened a place recently in November um, in Michigan. And I believe that of the 60 people that were contacted and said that they would even go on a Zoom call, a sixth. So, and that's Zoom. And Zoom is easier than actually getting in your car and getting there. <laughs> uh, yes, there's, there's no easy answer to that. And uh, that is systemic and you see that globally of people that are just literally not coming out to these um, interviews. The only thing that I think that 
if I could give any advice to anybody, it's being very transparent in all of your communication. I've spent a lot of time focusing on how you're sourcing people. What is that job posting looking like? And, you know, back pre-pandemic, I would often write things that were like, you know, hey, you don't have to sing happy birthday, you know, and because simply that's one of the things people hate. So I let them know, or you don't have to tip out a, a runner because you're going to run your own food. And so I would talk to them on a level so they'd have an under, or we're an independent restaurant. So they know that it wasn't being ridden, driven by a corporate chain that was unwielding, that there might be more creativity. Um, so I would make the suggestion of trying to have as much personality in your job posts as possible, but then also truly acknowledging where you're at because the honesty is the same thing that you want at your table with your guests is the honesty with your staff. Hi, this is where we're at. We are, are rebuilding and we need a few good people that are gonna do this with us. And for that, we are gonna make sure that you're taken care of. We are gonna be there for you and you're always gonna have that job. And if you communicate that, you probably have a slightly better shot than everyone else. So, and I think I think a key insight right there is that you can stand out in your job post. You know, you don't have to look just like every job post. And I think that a really easy way to do that is to appeal to your ideal candidate and what's in it for them. You know, not just like oh, we're an award-winning restaurant and blah blah blah. It's like right. hey, if you come and work here. Uh, you're going to get X, Y, and Z, and we are going to help you grow, whether you want to be in this industry for the long haul, or if if it is a stepping stone, wherever it is you want to go, we're going to help you get there. And I, um, you know, I, I think that would be an effective way to, to help a job post stand out. Which goes back to your, the, the take on people being appreciative of, your, of the staff. And mm -hmm. if you're starting that communication in the job post, you're showing that it's not, aren't you happy that you're working for our award-winning restaurant? It's, we would really love for you to come help us. Totally. Um, and just one last sort of doom and gloom, and then I want to get on some positive stuff here. Um, <laughs> Only one? All right, we can do this. <laughs> well, a lot of, so a lot of people don't get into this. This is sort of like a philosophical thing, I think. A lot of folks don't get into the this industry, um, A, because everyone says it's tough, which it is. And B, because the margins are slim. And so like, is the, is the juice worth the squeeze? And I'm wondering, because you help your clients maximize profitability. Yes. And so how, how can we, as we rebuild this thing, make the juice worth the squeeze? Is there... Um yeah, I mean, it's, it is definitely a fair question. Uh, to me, I think it has to do with whatever is the most controllable of your expenses and how to maximize that. So the instead of looking for people in traditional roles, being able to cross-train and cross-utilize staff, uh, instead of having to have five managers, then doing three and being able to lean on key hourlies to help develop that. I'm also a fan of when it comes to hiring people, having the bartenders hire other bartenders and the servers hire other servers. Not only does it help out from a culture standpoint, but then when that person is challenged, then they feel like the sense of ownership because they were a part of that. Mm -hmm. All of that is together to say that I think that it, it, 
it's tough. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if that there's a very good, you know, if there's a perfect answer to it, but um, as far as the, what is the ability to maximize your revenue? It's really having to do with being creative and, and focusing on what's, what's selling, uh, what you're, what you're wasting, um, where your profit hours are, all those things from an ownership standpoint that people don't manage. Mm -hmm. And we are, we are often able to pinpoint. Awesome. And what's your, what's your, I'm curious what your take is on uh, giving, like, let's say you have a couple all-star employees, mm -hmm. uh, maybe they're managers. What's your take on, you know, offering them some equity or something so they're fully bought in? Uh, what's, what's your take? You know, it's very interesting to ask this question because there are some concepts that I know that do not release. I mean, they'll do monthly P&Ls and it's almost like a card trick. It's like, okay, this is where we're at. And then there's no understanding of the true essence of where the company is. And then there are some companies who I've seen write their entire P&L on a chalkboard to where every single person has an understanding of how much you spend on linens and how much you spend on its transparency. Mm -hmm. So I've always been a person that believes that any role that you have in your life, your first job is to train your replacement simply because if you're a GM and you don't train the people around you to do what you can do, then you're never going to be anything else but a GM because you have not empowered anyone to take that, that position so that you can move up or move on. So I would take that same move with the staff. And I think that that becomes the including them especially those key people in the understanding of where your cost of goods are and incentivizing them positively because you know as well as I do, your liquor costs can live or die by how those bartenders are pouring. And if they are a part of the understanding of why that matters and getting benefit of helping to manage those things, then great. That's, that's a win for everybody. Love that. What, what do you think of this idea? This is an idea I had uh, a few years ago, um, which was because a, a few of our staff were like, they were just kind of, mm, mm, they could be, let's just put it this way. They could have been more, you know, bought in. Um, okay. So what I wanted to do is every single month, like show them everything, all the numbers, all the, the revenue, the profit, and say that, hey guys, if, if this time next year, we can, you know, have increased our profitability by say 30%. Well, we're going to give each and every one of you a, uh, like a $1,500 uh, culinary scholarship or $2,000 culinary scholarship. It's a team of about like 18. Um, so that would bring us in like under 40 K, but we will have, you know, earned an extra like 300 or whatever. What, what do you think of an idea like that? Do you think it work or is there something um, naive about it? No, I think it absolutely works. I, I use the example because there's a concept that I'm associated with in Oklahoma that does this, and I thought it was brilliant. There are, he calls it monumental moments. And it's it. that these are your key thresholds of what we are all going to universally accomplish because we know the tactic of being able to put everybody's uh, tip percentage or check average and posting it. And you have it from number one to number 18 of your servers. And number one is that there's, Todd, and he's doing great. And number 18's Amy, and she's not doing so well. And it's kind of a praise in public, punish in public sort of response, which has a tendency of being divisive and not fantastic. 
But if you're focusing on the same check averages and everyone's working in tandem, and then you hit that monumental moment, and then there's a celebration of that, then by all means, absolutely. So your focus on culinary, it, it, moving into culinary training for people is, I mean, that's ideal. There's a restaurateur in, uh, in uh, New Orleans that once a week or my one, one week a year shuts down and takes everybody to, you know, Italy or whatever. And they go because it's a culinary experience, but they also go because they all get to go to Italy and that's fantastic. And it builds that. And if you're, if you're giving somebody the, the ability to learn more and become greater while working with you, then all the better. That's why I often tell staff at any position, Hey, do you want to know how to build a performa? Come on, just come on. I'll show you. Do you want to know how to build a structure or, you know, look for locations and what were the best uh, KPIs when you're, you know, examining your business, whatever it is that the things that they might not be thinking about, then if they're, if they're wanting to move to the next step, that's great. I, even in one of our concepts for servers and uh, bartender training, we have an entire thing on cost of goods. It's not normally something you teach servers, but it seems to work because they have a better understanding of how they truly affect those things and why those things matter. For sure. I, I mean, it's, it's such an amazing, um, a restaurant is like a pressure cooker, you know, and, and your teams are usually smaller and there's so much that you can learn uh, quickly about how, how business works. And, you know, if you can, if you can pick up those skills, I, I think that you can apply them uh, very, very well to, to just about anything. Um, I'd love to, so I'd love to just look a little bit before, before we wrap up here, I'd love to get your take on, on the future, the next few months, what's, what's on the horizon. How can, how can the audience here be a little better prepared? What, um, what, what do you, what do you see kind of are the next, how did, how did the next few months play out? The next few months for, uh, for guests, for restaurant tours, for, for restaurant tours. So I, I think that at least from, from my vantage point, it's going to have everything to do with what kind of a concept you're currently uh, associated with and what that's going to look like in the next few months. For example, here in Chicago, uh, slowly but very surely, the nightclub and bar world is beginning to really pick back up, which is great because it, it caters to a younger crowd and it's people that are just really excited to come out and, you know, and feel normalcy again. And I think that you have already seen the, the takeaway, the, the delivery system that has already been ingrained in a lot of people. And I don't see that going away too, too soon. I've I'm right in the middle of an opening right now in the suburbs and 50% of the, uh, of the revenue is curbside. So it is just, it's become something that people are driven to. So I don't see that changing anytime soon from that convenience model. It's, I'm going to order ahead. I'm just going to pick it up and that's what it's going to be. The long haul is going to be fine dining, but really? yeah, truly. And I think that, that one of the biggest things about that is simply fine dining has always been built and predicated on expense reports. When I was running a steakhouse here in Chicago, your busiest day was Wednesday. It wasn't Friday or Saturday. It's Wednesday when you're going out and you're entertaining clients and you can go ahead and expense that. 
well, those traditional things have definitely taken a hit, but this isn't the first time in the history that I've seen this. In 2008, in the U.S. housing crisis, 100 percent. In 2001, when I was running a, uh, I was working as a young uh, manager at a nightclub, and when 9/11 happened, absolutely you saw that. So, and it was the fine dining that took the longest to rebound. But people will feel that normalcy, and beyond normalcy, they'll feel like they want to treat themselves and get back to that, you know, enjoying that elevated experience. And that's, that, that's one that's near and dear to my heart. So I truly, I'm looking very forward to that being the case. Would you recommend a, a fine dining establishment, uh, you know, in the interim, start making, start making more burgers and doing takeout and pizza or what, what would you, how would you recommend they get through? Well, I think, you know, I'm, I'm Alinea here in Chicago, which is obviously Michelin star. Yeah. They, uh, they did during the uh, pandemic, they had to go kids for lack of a better term that you could take and you could have that experience and it was still an elevated experience, but you were able to have it at home. They didn't necessarily go to burgers, but they changed their model to where you had a sense of normalcy. And that to me was really the big if positive is definitely not the right word for this, but I saw so many uh, restaurant groups that took this opportunity to not only feed their uh, team and make sure that they were supported during this pandemic, but they were feeding the community and working. One group here in Chicago just basically turned all of theirs into kitchens, but for the for their independent communities and passed out three, four hundred meals a day, and that that pivot worked very well. People that were pivoting their menus so that people could feel a little bit more normal was really appreciated and and there were definitely people during this pandemic that just did not stand up or or show best they just kind of turned tail and shut down and i don't mean shut down because of i mean they just they didn't engage it's it's the people that really did that i've been really really proud of 100 um should i have one more one more question which go. is um oh, which is uh are you familiar with um, like virtual dining concepts? Yeah, I mean, uh, Fabio Viviani does virtual dining. He sends out kits to your house and then he puts it together and he actually makes the, the meals with you and then everyone does that. And it, that's been gangbusters for, for what he does. So on that level, I'm, I'm familiar. Yeah, I mean, I just I just wrote a, an article on uh, Mr. Beast Burger. Have you? Do you know Mr. Beast Burger? I know, I know Mr. Beast so much that I try to find somebody to subscribe to because every time he drops, that you have to make sure to subscribe so you can win ten thousand dollars. <laughs> I I know Carl. I know I I can talk to you about Mr. Beast all day, and it's weird that fifty year old guy loves Mr. Beast as much as I do, but I thought that his his flip of Boga de Pepe and doing the Mr. Beast out genius, straight up genius. Well, it, it just strikes me as a pretty great opportunity for, for, you know, like obviously underused kitchens, but, you know, maybe finer dining establishments that, you know, they don't have the same volume. Um, and yeah, I mean, why not get a couple of virtual concepts running out of your kitchen, um, you know, for a little while, at least to, to just generate that incremental revenue, um, yeah. A lot of place, a lot of people are trying to do that. I have a number of restaurateurs that have reached out and said, if anybody wants to use my kitchen for these things, then they can definitely do that. 
the difference with Mr. Beast is he has what 50 million subscribers or something. So he already has a built-in audience. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the concept that I'm working with right now. They're huge on TikTok. And so when they open up a new location, everybody comes because the marketing has already done the work first. And if that's one thing that I've learned recently, it's that that marketing inclusion at the very beginning really drives so much of it. So I've worked with concept to where marketing department is in when you're designing menus and building names and developing it from ground, because if you can get the marketing out there, you're halfway. Well, and that, that's the idea behind things like Mr. Beast Burger and these virtual dining concepts is all the marketing is done for you. You yep. literally, you just get the products and some standard operating procedures and, you know, you get set up and giddy up, the orders come in, you fulfill them. Bob's your uncle. Um, yep. So this is a podcast about, you know, marketing. And I, I know your, your expertise is more in management, but I thought before, before we wrap up here, if, how would, okay, if a restaurant that you were working with mm-hmm. were, let's say they were given 50000 a $50,000 marketing budget to spend over the course of, let's say, six months, mm-hmm. how would you, how would you help them deploy that budget? Well, I guess the first question would be, who are the people who are in your marketing department and do they have a pulse on exactly who your uh, target market are? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a restaurant group that I was working with here in Chicago that very, the entire marketing department, very young, very social media driven, very engaged, but that's also the exact same market that the concepts were going for. Mm-hmm. So as much as I might think it would be great to put, you know, I'm going to jokingly say an ad in a newspaper from you know, 1978. Um, it, the reality is, is that it, Putting something engaging and, and viral that might go viral on TikTok, far better. Uh, being able to engage your any, any of your social media platforms in a way that will drive people to them is great. But I am, you're exactly right. I'm the, there are two things that I'm really, really bad at. One is culinary and two is marketing. And that's why I surround myself with fantastic people who have a, who have a much better understanding of marketing. All I know is that it's better to not create something and say, this is my thought for a restaurant. Now go market it. It's, hey, let's talk about getting a restaurant. Come on in marketing and then have them be a part of the conversation from day one. Totally. So build, build it into the concept, 100%. And um, so what, what resources have had the biggest impact on you and your growth and then um and then well yeah well, i'll just get you to answer that that question first what what resources okay. have resources the, that have have, have had the me. biggest impact or yes yeah impact on on your growth i i think in the traditional sense it i have been lucky to work with a lot of really stand up people and a lot of my mentors are chefs because they can do what I can't do. And they also have me look at things in a different light. Mm-hmm. So I look back fondly at the people that were willing to teach me the things that I absolutely didn't know. Um, a lot of what I did and a lot of what I wrote in the book was just trial and error. When I talk about why you might not want to hang out with your staff, and if you do, here's the way that you do it to make sure that you don't end up in HR. 
then it's because I've done that and I've ended up in HR, you know, and I've done all of those things. Um, it was one of those things that it gives me the opportunity to mess up. So I'm going to write a book that'll, you know, hopefully the next person won't mess up as many times as I have. Uh, otherwise, the things that have that I'm thankful for, the people that support me, when I said I'm going to start this company, um, my wife was supportive and my friends were supportive. And I wasn't young when I started Corgan Hospitality. And again, being a restaurant consultant is never a good word. So being saying, I'm going to go start this when I had a very great job with a very great company seemed insane, but I had a lot of people that supported me. And then I, the rest of the things I surround myself with, honestly, podcasts, stand-up comedy, and music that drive me to be massively like positive and get myself in a headspace. I literally have uh, tattoos of uh, a comedian's quote on one of my arms just because it's a reminder that says, it's just a ride. Everything is fine. And, you know, those sort of things. And, um, you know, I, I listen to rage and I, I, I listen to things that make me feel like powerful because sometimes it's just you. And if you surround yourself with positivity, it's going to get you through the tougher times. I love that. Well, Ken, thank you so much for, for coming on today. I think that your book, uh, the surprise restaurant manager is uh, practical, which is, you know, which is what we need in this industry. I don't think we need theory right now. We need, you know, folks who are in the trenches, boots on the ground, and can uh, mine the insights like you have. And um, so, before we head off here, is there is there anywhere where you would like the audience to go learn more about you? Honestly, the biggest thing that I would say is that, um, and I had to make it exclusive on Amazon for being able to do this. But the e version is ninety nine cents. Amazing. And I did that simply because I want the information to be out. It's not built to be a profit. If you want, if you want to buy a book, buy a book. Definitely, and we appreciate that. But if you just want the information, 99 cents. And if you want me to send you a free PDF, info at corganhospitality.com. I don't, it's it's about trying to get the information to as many people as possible because I truly think we're, we're in a crisis situation with managers who aren't given the tools to succeed. Amazing. Well, thank, thank you so, so much, Ken. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs>